Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Um, either one is fine. Uh, We're going to dig into our scripture that we've been digging in um, from Ephesians chapter 6 here. And it's going to be led by another one of our young people, and they're going to crank up the volume so you can hopefully hear her, but the words are also printed um, uh, alongside. So here's Amelia Wiley uh, leading our scripture passage from Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his powerful strength. Put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces, the cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of the evil in the heavens. Therefore, pick up the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground on the evil day and after you have done everything possible to still stand. So stand with the belt of truth around your waist, just as your breastplate, and put, on your, put your shoes on your feet so that you are ready to spread the good news of peace. Above all, carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Thank you, Amelia. Now, sorry, we're just messing up. I'll just go ahead. We don't need the bumper video. So I know what you're thinking. David lost a bet. <laughs> it's not the case. What I really wanted to know is how many of you love like old country music? All right, these are people here. So I uh, don't know how this is gonna sound, but if it doesn't sound great, just look at their needs a lot. Ready? I don't know why I keep on believing you need me when you've proved so many times it ain't true. And I can't find one good reason for staying. Maybe my leaving would be the best for you. But these rose-colored glasses that I'm looking through show only the beauty cause they had all the truth and they let me hold on to the good times the good lines the ones I used to hear when I held you. And they keep me from feeling so cheated, defeated, when reflections in your eyes show me a fool. But these rose-colored glasses 
that I'm looking through. Show only the beauty, because they hide all the truth. Everybody, but these rose colored glasses that I'm looking through. So I, yeah, Jerry deserved a standing ovation. I don't deserve a standing ovation for that. As Jerry was singing, I'm thinking, I gotta follow that, okay. So no, I did not lose a bet. It's just that song kept popping up as I was thinking through the shield of faith and, and really what does shield have to do with rose-colored glasses except that last, that, that chorus line of, um, these rose-colored glasses that I'm looking through show only the beauty because they hide all the truth. The song is about this guy who keeps pursuing a woman who wants absolutely nothing to do with him. Right, guys, raise your hand if you've been there before. Right? So he's pursuing this woman who wants absolutely nothing to do with him. It sounds like he might have even hurt her sometime in the past, and she is giving him nothing to go on, but he is continuously, just because he loves her, and he's continuously choosing to see this relationship in, the, in terms of he's still got a chance. He, he's still got hope. He's still going to continue to try and woo her and pursue her. He's got his rose-colored glasses that help him see the world in one specific way of hope, of optimism, of love. Now, how many of you have ever been, like, you've been snorkeling, you've been scuba diving, you've just been swimming in a pool, and you've got these goggles that have maybe a red tint to them, uh, or, or a dark black tint to them, for example. And then when you pull the goggles up, what does the world look like? Like, I have goggles that when you pull them up, everything is blue. Uh, it, it, no matter what it is, everything is tinted blue. And what happens, like, especially, so if you've got red goggles, like infrared goggles on, then um, what it does is you have rods and cones that interpret the light for your brain. And so you've got these cones that interpret red light that are firing on all cylinders. But the cones that interpret, say, green or blue, they think they're in the dark. They go to sleep. They are not reacting anymore. So when you open your eyes, when you uncover your eyes from the tint of the goggles, it's like somebody pulled a curtain in a hotel room and the light just flashes in. It's this rush of light, and your green and blue cones can't keep up. They're firing now on all cylinders, so they overcompensate, and everything becomes blue in the world. Everything becomes green in the world. It's a specific lens that we choose to see what things are happening in. And I know that it could seem naive to sit here and tell you uh, that you should choose to see the world in one specific way, or to even hide all the truth. Right? We're supposed to be people of the truth. We're supposed to be people who proclaim the truth. But, but let me tell you that there's some part about faith, there's some part about faith that's important. Maybe not to put the blinders on, 
but to put the right lens on. And maybe we're even better people, better Christians, by choosing to wear the rose-colored glasses of faith. Let me give you another example. I'm going to show you a clip from the movie Risen, and Jesus doesn't feature in this clip. He features later in the movie, but it's this Roman centurion. He's in charge of a century of soldiers. He's a big wig in the Roman army, and he's leading a a battle. He's leading a charge against a Jewish stronghold. Maybe it's Masada. So take a look. So what they just did there is called the testudo formation. And the testudo formation also is known as the turtle formation, as you can see. It takes all these full-length shields of the Roman army. And and when Paul is writing about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, he is straight up just using a reference to a Roman soldier in everything that he is referencing for how we should be, only redefining what their material and what their armor means for us. So in the Testudo formation, every soldier locks their shield with one another and they form a ceiling and they form walls on all the sides so that we're, they're making a push again and they're, they're making a siege against a, um, a garrison that as they're throwing rocks down there or in Paul's words, they've got the, arrow, the flaming arrows of the evil one um, uh, on there, then they are protected on all sides. Now, I've seen this in other movies before, and I'm a student of history. I love military history for whatever reason, because uh, I've never served in the army or anything, but uh, I've always been interested, and I've seen this formation before, and the question I always have is, what about the guys in the middle? Because you've got, you probably got your bravest, strongest people up front, and they're taking the full brunt of the charge from the front, and then I'm sure you've got, you know, you've got the commander, and I would imagine the people in the back on some level probably have some sort of influence so they can bark orders from what they can see from a, a more safe position. But the guys in the middle literally are holding their shield up like this, following someone's back, or, or they're following someone's feet if that's all they can see. And they know on some level that they're charging into to flaming arrows and rocks and whatever kind of danger that they're going through. But let me ask you a question. Does it help them to be more brave if they can't see the whole picture? Does it help them to be more brave if they don't have to stare at the face of evil, but they get to follow someone they trust? And they know that the people in front are elite warriors. They know the people in front have a plan. They know the people in front can can deal with the circumstances that come. And so are they more brave, are they braver, if they don't actually have to see the fear and the violence in front of them and they simply get to trust? So put yourself in the situation that Paul is writing to in Ephesians. It's the dilemma we've talked about multiple times. It's the Gentile Christians versus the Jewish Christians. And and one-on-one or individually without the shield of faith as they're in their toolbox, 
they're walking into, and you could, you could say Gentiles, and you could say Christians, you could say Hatfields, you could say McCoys, you could say Republicans and Democrats, you could say Cowboys and Eagles, you could say Chick-fil-A or Popeyes, you know, all of these dilemmas that exist in the world, right? The assumption, and we see this today, right? The assumption is when you face a Gentile, you see nothing but worthlessness. You see nothing but hopelessness. They don't stand a chance of adding anything to your life anymore. So you approach them in this divide where you've already decided they're the enemy and you can see the enemy and you can see what they've done to you or you can see what you think they will do to you. And so how do you think that interaction is going to go when you start from a place of fear and trepidation? When you start from a place of maybe hatred? Now put on the lens of faith where you're following Jesus. Where you don't have to see the truth, the wide spectrum of things. I mean, how many of us have ever um, said the words, I just can't watch the news anymore? And you've chosen to turn off the news? Right? On some level, that's an irresponsible decision because you don't know how you need to react in the world. You don't know what a Christian needs to interact and provide beauty and truth and justice in the world. So some level, that's an irresponsible decision. But on another, on another level... Right, there, was a, there was a conversation the other day where someone said, um, we were talking about traffic accidents for some reason, and, and someone said there's a lot of accidents out there today. And I think there were something, I mean, there's like five in McKinney, which is a lot at one time, right? There's a lot for one city. So they said, yeah, there's five traffic accidents. People are crazy today. And I thought, well, McKinney has almost a million people, in Collin County at least. McKinney has like almost 300,000 people, which means that 10 people got in an accident, but 290,000 didn't. And so you might have been afraid to drive that day because you knew there were five accidents and you thought, oh my gosh, people are crazy. They don't know how to drive today. There's a full moon. Something's going on. Right? And so you might have seen that five accidents and said, you know what? The world's gone crazy. But I wonder if you flip the script and you say 290,000 people didn't get in a traffic accident today. Right? There's a certain lens that you can look at our enemies with. You can look at the person you're in conflict with or the group you're in conflict with. And that lens, I believe, comes from Jesus. That's the shield of faith. And so the shield, again, armor on the armor of God is not necessarily to protect you from some attack from outside. It's to protect you from what you might do to somebody else out of fear. It's to protect them and then conversely, because when you strike out in fear or hatred, they're going to respond back in fear or hatred, so it protects you as well. Right? The shield of faith is putting Jesus in front of us. It's putting on the lens of faith. It's saying that I'm going to let Jesus be in the front of the battle, and I'm going to follow his direction. And you know, it's something we've really never tried. I know we constantly talk about faith in Christ, and we talk about growing in faith, um, but Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as, um, what is it? The assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. So if I tell you, if I go back in Paul's time in Ephesians and I say, hey Jewish Christian, go to the Gentile. I want you to find one good Gentile that is worthy of your time and love and affection. And their reaction to me might be, I've never seen one of those before. They just don't exist. Well, faith is the conviction that that exists. Faith is the conviction of things we haven't seen yet. And I just want you to look uh, here and look at 
the things that Jesus tells us, if we are having faith in Jesus, meaning, like Sir Nizalot said, the trust in God, that I will follow God, I will follow Jesus into the burning arrows, into the rocks that are flying, no matter what I may or may not see, that I'm going to trust, even when I cannot see, that Jesus' way is the best way and Jesus' way will lead us to a better world. Just listen to what Jesus tells us to do in the Sermon on the Mount alone. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy and pray for them. Blessed are the peacemakers. Don't judge the splinter in someone's eye before examining the log in yours. And how about this one? But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. There's another scripture you might have heard or read before that Jesus says that should be the way that we see the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. And then on the cross, he's looking at those who just put him there and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. So how does Jesus enter into the conflict? Right, there's Gentile and there's Jew, there's cowboys, there's eagles, there's Republican, there's Democrats. How does Jesus enter into the conflict? Jesus has the eternal mindset of God. That I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself. I'm going to pray for my enemy. I'm going to see them as redeemable. In fact, I'm not even going to see them as redeemable. I'm going to see them as loved. That no matter who they are right before me, God loves them and so I'm going to love them. And so I'm charging into this with the attitude that they are loved and they are valuable and they are worthy and they, we have a chance. This is the way Jesus enters into conflict. Jesus sits down to dinner with the Pharisees who hate him. Jesus sits next to Judas at the Last Supper. Jesus goes in with this shield of faith that protects him from the hatred and fear we can have as human beings. To hear one piece of bad news and assume is universal for everybody of that group. To hear one piece of bad action and assume that that person will always be bad. Jesus gives everybody a chance. Jesus gives every group a chance. And Jesus doesn't make them earn it. You remember the scripture from Matthew chapter 5 we did last week of give to all no matter what? There is no qualifier with Jesus because Jesus has faith that for God so loved the entire world that he was sent. And faith is that thing which we haven't seen come yet. Right? We've never seen the kingdom of God because we've never actually fully trusted the kingdom of God. We here love our enemies, and that's really difficult to do. And we hear that and we think it sounds nice, but I'm not actually going to do it because that doesn't work. Right? If I go into my enemy's home, I better go with full battle armor on because they are going to hurt me. But have you ever tried taking your armor off in a situation? I want to tell you a story. I'm going to look at this to make sure I get the names right. But um, there's a, a state prosecutor named Melissa Nelson in Florida right now. She uh, won election in 2016. And her predecessor was um, somebody who, as a uh, state general attorney, um, consistently pushed for the harshest punishments for criminals. So death penalty, uh, life imprisonment, different kind of things like that. And Melissa Nelson kind of uh, had that same philosophy going into it where she was going to, you know, 
eye for an eye. If someone kills somebody, then we're going to push for the death penalty. And that is what she believed also would give the victims the most amount of peace. That if the victims had experienced loss and death and tragedy, then taking that person out of the gene pool would make their life better. And so she continued to do this until she ran into this case that had been around for quite a while. Since 2013, there was a 20-year-old woman named Shelby Farum who had been murdered by 21-year-old James Rhodes. And uh, Rhodes was in prison, but, and, and he had been um, sentenced to the death penalty. Or at least that's what they were pushing for, and that's what he had been convicted of at first. But if you know about the legal process, there are a series of appeals after appeals after appeals. And, and really, um, uh, the woman's mom, Darlene Farah, uh, never wanted the death penalty to be pushed for because she knew how long it would take. Now, what she did say in her interview is, said, the first time we went into trial together, I wanted to take a gun and sneak it in so I could just end it myself because it would get done faster because she knew how long it would take and she didn't want to live in agony anymore. Now, Darlene was involved in this. Darlene never really wanted the death penalty. She wanted it to be done. She wanted the court process to be done with. Um, and Melissa Nelson got involved. And, and one of the things that Darlene Farah had always wanted was she wanted to look in... Um, I need to get the names right. She wanted to look in James Rhodes' eyes. And she just wanted to ask James to describe her daughter Shelby. To see if she mattered enough for him to remember what she looked like. To see if her life that, that James had took mattered enough. And, and the former prosecutor had never allowed that. So she never gained access in, in the three years. Um, but finally in 2018, um, Darlene was able to sit down with James. Um, Melissa Nelson granted this. For whatever reason, she felt compassion and she granted this to Darlene Farah. And so Darlene walks into the prison and, and they're at a table together. It's no glass, just at a table together. And she says, I need you to describe my daughter, Shelby. And James, through tear-soaked eyes, describes Shelby down to the last eyelash. And says that that vision haunts me every night that I took her life. And they got to talking, and, and the reason why Darlene wanted to meet James is because Darlene had hired an ex-FBI investigator to go do some background work on James, and, and found out James's childhood was less than stellar. His parents were never around. He didn't have a father to celebrate Father's Day with. He had been um, in and out of different juvie programs. He'd had criminal record before. He'd largely had people tell him he was no good his entire life, and and as they got to talking, James heard about Shelby and Darlene's relationship, how close it was, how loving it was. And, and Darlene tells the newspaper that's given this article, says the most haunting line is that James said, you know, I bet if I had had a mother or a father like you, I wouldn't even own the gun to pull the trigger. Darlene started to become the biggest advocate for James to be taken off death row. And in fact, this happens all the time, is that victims don't want more tragedy in the world. Victims want to be safe. They want to know that they can continue forward. They want to know that their loved one will be remembered, but they don't want somebody else to suffer the way they have suffered. They have massive amounts of empathy towards somebody else's 
parent, somebody else's kid who's going to lose somebody in their life. And what's interesting about this empathy is that it allows the faith to come in. Darlene sat across from James Rhodes, the man who had killed her daughter. And because she had entered in with compassion, with empathy, by the end of the time, she reached out for his hands to pray with him. And the guard came over very quickly and said, no, 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 no touching. And Darlene threw one of those little, you know, the mom looks, <laughs> right? The looks that say, don't mess with me right now. Darlene threw one of those looks and the prison guard backed off. There was not going to be any fear in this moment. There was not going to be any trepidation in this moment. There was only going to be the faith that James Rhodes was still worthy because God so loved the world that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. And so James is still in prison. But this case influenced Melissa Nelson, the state prosecutor, toward more restorative justice. The idea that we're not going in pushing for punishment, but we're setting up a system that redeems. We're going into the criminal justice system in Florida now, and she's making changes so that when somebody enters in, they're looking at somebody as a valuable person as opposed to a broken human. And this is the shield of faith, right? Think of all the destructive things we've done because we've been afraid of somebody else. Think of all the destructive and hurtful things we've said because we're afraid of someone else, because we assume they're going to cause us damage. They're going to mess up our system of normalcy. The shield of faith is being able to put Jesus in front of the testudo formation and go in with the lens that says, you know, it's all going to be okay if I follow the way that Christ prescribes. And we've never followed the Sermon on the Mount. As much as we are faithful Christians, as much as we come to church as much as we try and be Christian in the world. The world, the church, has never lived into the Sermon on the Mount, except in glimpses. And you know, it's in those glimpses. Like in Philadelphia, there's a community called The Simple Way. It's led by a guy named Shane Claiborne and, and several others, and, and most of you would probably find Shane to be offensive and, and radical. I guarantee you most of you would. Um, but Shane also learned circus tricks, and he intentionally lives in the, in the darkest, scariest part of Philadelphia with these other people who learn circus tricks. And whenever a gang fight breaks out, Shane and his crew go out and start performing a circus in the middle of the street. Because who doesn't get intrigued by jugglers? Blessed are the peacemakers who perform circus tricks out of faith that it will stop a gang fight. All right, we see in glimpses how Jesus works. We see in glimpses how faith in Jesus works, how radical faith in Jesus works. We've never tried it as a society. That Chronicles passage about if a nation will humble itself, well, if we want to humble ourselves, we can start with the Sermon on the Mount. We can put the shield of faith up and say, I am going to follow Jesus as my one and only guide. And you know what? If I'm not seeing all the violence, if I'm not seeing all the bad, perhaps I will follow Jesus closer. And by following Jesus closer, perhaps I will turn violence. Perhaps I will turn hatred into love. Perhaps I might be a peacemaker. 
if all I can see is Christ in front of me. Will you pray with me? Jesus, our Lord, our Master, lead us into life in a way that brings life to the world around us. Lead us in so we might follow faithfully. And Lord, give us trust that you are charging into the powers of evil and casting them aside and pushing them out of our way to where we do not need to be afraid to live as you have told us to live. To love our enemy, to see everyone through the rose-colored glasses that, that might hide some of the truth in the world, but give us freedom to see the good and the love. Lord, may we be inspired by the good we see. May we be an inspiration to others so that they might walk behind us as we follow you. May you be our shield and may you be the epicenter of our faith that transforms our life to look more like your kingdom should look. God, we have never actually tried, but the glimpses of your servants in this world give us hope that if we did, that if we carried our faith and we walked behind you into battle, that this might actually work, God. So suit us up with truth and righteousness, with good news and faith. So when people see us, they might see the movement that you envisioned when you preached to us on the mount so long ago. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Invite us. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.